Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest writes under the pen name of Maggie Green. She is a Catholic mother who waits for some of her children to return to the faith. She and her husband live with their children out on the East Coast. And uh, Maggie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning before we got on, I saw the article that you wrote at Catholic Exchange titled, I Still Have Hope That Christ Will Bring My Kids Back to the Faith, and then looked at your book that came out a couple of years ago, the St. Monica Club. And, you know, when I'm reading it, having and currently living through the same issues of of having a child who left the faith, it really is comforting to know that you know, we're not alone. There really is a stigma, and sometimes we hate to bring it up, and that's the that's the worst thing we can do, right? I think bringing it up helps other people know that they're not alone, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, that's the critical thing, is that the devil would like for us to feel like we've failed and want us to feel humiliated and also want us to feel like we're the only ones. And that is so not true. And when you share your suffering with others, it's halved because someone else can help you to lift your cross. And that's how we have to think of it, being willing to admit, this is something we're wrestling with. You're going to hear me too, much more often. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, there is pain. There's that guilt feeling. Uh, You know, we want to beat ourselves up or, or hide because we think we're somehow inferior. But let's be honest, right? There's no such thing as a perfect parent. And we could always go back and think we could do something different. But in the end, right, our children have free will. And if they were looking for the perfect parent, right, that that's God. That's not us. And we're just trying to do the best we can, right? Right. And, you know, it's not our, our job is to reveal the faith, to teach the faith, to live the faith. And God will do the growing of the seeds in them that we have we have helped to to. to, to cultivate. God God will speak to their hearts, but we have to provide that witness along the way. But we don't fail if they don't stay, because free will is a very annoying feature of life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, if you've seen one child, you've seen one child, right? They're, they all have different buttons. They all react differently to different things. I mean, we have a daughter who's uh, a Nashville Dominican and one who's gone totally off the rails, drugs, I mean, you name it. And you, sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, how does this happen in the same household? But it does happen, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And it is painful, you know, you know but it also is an opportunity for us to grow in faith and to recognize that, to not count the fact that our children who stayed in the faith as a merit of us, but as a merit of them. And to grow in our own faith as we learn to love those we have, not because of what they've done or not done, but because they are. And that's what we love as God loves. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, and this leaving of the faith, right, it's such a wide spectrum. It's sometimes they leave the faith and they join some some Christian church down the road, some non-denominational church. Sometimes they leave the faith and become atheists, right? And it could be anywhere in between. And it and so you've seen one story, you've seen one story, right? It's, it really is such a broad spectrum when people leave that, you know, it, it's different for every child. 
and there's not one fix for any there's not a universal fix for any of this this is a one-on-one relationship all of us our faith is our own individual encounter and deep relationship with Christ the church helps us to grow that most effective um, the way I want is efficaciously but God still has a relationship with these other children even when they go far, far, far away, because God hasn't ceased to love them or seek them or want to call them back into his heart more deeply. And so that's what we have to, that's why we should not lose any hope or um, or despair when we have this cross to bear. We should just accept that this is part of our growing in our faith and and, and love them all the more. Well, and you, you know, you wrote this book, The St. Monica Club, and anybody who knows anything about St. Monica, right, we know there was patience, there were tears, there were, you know, letting God do his thing, even when it was the most difficult thing to do, and just kind of watch this thing play out. And it really is a great reminder to all of us that uh, we are not the first ones to experience this. This has been going on since the, you know, what happened in the garden and Cain kills Abel, right? I mean, we have you know, the fall really has, has led to these these challenges, but there are challenges, but they are opportunities, too. And you mentioned to grow in our own faith, to become the better witnesses, because we might be witnesses and, and, and help somebody else's child, even though it's not our own, right? Right. And we have to remember that our prayers are not unheard. They are taken. They're taken to the foot of the cross. Jesus knows this agony that we have. He knows it more intimately than we can ever imagine, because that's his, his weeping in the garden is for those who will not accept friendship with God, in addition to his own feelings of what he was going to have to suffer. You know, that we are all that. We are all those children. We are those. We're still far. We're not fully united with Christ yet. We are also prodigals. Our our parents are probably praying for us to get it right in some way that we're not. (laughs) Yeah, well, and you can never have enough prayers and, you know, not only pray for our own children, but pray for other people. And let's be honest, right? The other children in the family feel this as well, right? If we actually care about the souls of our brothers and sisters or our children, it affects more than just the parents. It affects the whole family. It really does. Both, uh, you know, you have kids who then are going, well, why? it seems like you're more concerned about the prodigal who's gone off to the other um, lands and spent our heritage. Or, and I don't want to go into the party when the prodigal returns. And you have also those who are staying, but staying because they're trying to prove that they're better than and somehow merit more praise and more love. And so you have all those, we we mess up love really well. And learning to love our children and learning to love as God loves is what the mission of our lives is. And so all these children that we have that have left the faith are opportunities for us to learn more of how to love as God loves. Well, and it and just seems strange like, to look at it as a blessed weakness. Yeah, and it just seems like the world in which we live, right? It's always been difficult. It's never been a piece of cake. But there's, you know, I yeah. I, I know families whose children, you know, gone to mass. You know, they were they look like the model family, and you know, they were trying to be. 
And, you know, one of the children all of a sudden now thinks, you know, is in a same sex relationship or struggles with the transgender ideology or just this progressive thinking that, you know, it's all about me. Right. It's it's moral relativism and I get to pick my own truth. So there really are a lot of wolves out there trying to steal uh, the souls of our children, even our own, that we really have to grow in our own faith, be witnesses, and not let this rock our world, because we have to be the rocks for them, don't we? Exactly. And, you know, yeah, we can be shaken by it, and that's a normal human response, but it's an invitation to greater grace. And that's what, honestly, all suffering is. This is just a suffering that is right now, honestly, um, an invisible pandemic. There are more nuns, N-O-N-E-S's, um, than any other denomination, um, at least in, a, in the young teen to 30 range that it keeps growing. Um, and it's because the world is full of um, temptations and is saying that there are no truths and is saying that there are no values that you need to embrace, save those which you, in your will, assent to. And so that that's hard. It's hard to wrestle with. It's hard to wrangle with because it keeps getting slippery. It keeps getting harder to wrangle with because there's as many ways to manifest that as there are wills. I think the important thing about writing the book, and again, it's uh, the St. Monica Club put out by Sophia Institute Press, is that there really aren't a lot of resources out there for parents that are going through you know, a child who's left the faith for whatever reason and whatever that looks like, there really aren't that many places to turn to, to, to kind of get, you know, get our feet back under us and kind of look at it and try to make sense of what it means for our own faith and how to be those witnesses. So thanks for writing that. Well, thank you. It, it was a mission of love. And um, um, as I said, no one wants to be a member of this club. You just wake up and find out that you've got a card. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but what I have found is there's a tremendous fellowship. Um, I know of a couple of parishes where they formed a quite literally a St. Monica club. And they started with reading the book and then they meet once a week or once every two weeks to pray for their families and to have fellowship and to kind of help each other bear the burden. So it's, it's brought some very good fruit for those who, um, as you said, up until then didn't have a whole lot of resources. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned in the book, there's a, a chapter or section called, you know, you talk, you talk about, be kind, but not nice. What, what did you mean by that? Well, nice has more to do with manners, like where you don't want to rock the boat. You never want to say anything that's going to ruffle the other feathers. Or you walk on eggshells about your own faith in the presence of the person that is somehow counter. And that's not being meek. That's being submissive. And there's a, that's a distinction. So being kind is treating that person with dignity, with love, affirming them in all the ways that you can, doing what you would do for any of your children, you know, inviting them to dinner, taking them out, spending time with them. But it's not a nicety. It's not being done to bribe them with your presence and good behavior into coming back into the fold, it is you are affirmatively ministering them by loving them well. 
niceness is kind of a veneer for we're not, we have no problems, everything's fine. And yeah. that's a different, that's really what I want to shy away from because there's a temptation just simply, we just won't rock the boat. We just won't talk about it. We just won't, we, we'll, we'll just pretend, we'll just move on. And that's not an effective witness either because that is saying to the person, what you do does not matter. What you want to say is, what you do will not change that I love you. Right. And I think it's it's important. And nowhere in the Bible does it say just be nice. So I think, you know, it's a good point and a good reminder. You know, when I read that chapter and I, and I looked at that, you know, it also reminds me of, you know, this false compassion that sometimes we find in our world and we find in families that, you know, if my child does something, you know, immoral and, and takes them away from the church, then we almost embrace that immorality because we don't want to break that relationship, which is exactly the wrong thing to do, right? We want to continue to proclaim the truth in love, but never at the expense of our own soul by embracing something that, you know, is very harmful to us. Well, I'm going to put it this way, is that when you are being kind, you are treating that person again with total dignity. And that is sacrificial in nature. Um, but it is not... Sub, but it is not an elimination of what it is you hold to be true. So you invite them to dinner, but you still say grace because you believe and you profess what you believe. Um, you invite them to Christmas. You still have all the nativity sets. You still have. All, you still talk about the fact that we are celebrating Christ's birth. You don't pretend that your religion is uniquely private because someone else has decided that it is simply a personal choice and that, that, that there is a temptation to sublimate what you value um, for fear of rocking boats, for fear of pushing someone away. On the other hand, you don't wear it like a giant um, club, you know, in front of these people, because that's not going to get people to reflect or consider or feel loved either. <laughs> that's not useful um, to go around with a battering ram. My faith is my battering ram. That's really not effective. Yeah. Uh, you know. No, that's so uh, uh, off in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, how not, how not to have a family dinner. Yeah, yeah. How to make everybody uncomfortable so that everybody ends up with indigestion when you're done eating? Yes, spiritually and physically. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. you know, the object is never wind up feeling like you need to go to confession because you had a conversation. Uh, right. You know. Well, um, and, and that's hard. It is hard, and I think sometimes you know, and we have to be careful. Sometimes it's easy that our children may want to try to pick a bite, right? And we get, we can't bite on those on those opportunities because it just devolves into uh, people becoming more stubborn in their own opinion. So we have to be smart about it. We have to be patient about it and, and do it in a way that is receptive, not in a way that tends, tends to be more of a repellent like you were talking about. Yeah, because all behavior is communication. And when children pull away um, and are testing, as you say, like trying to pick a fight, they're wanting to see, will you fight? 
will mm-hmm. you push me away? Will you give me the way to leave? You know, and that's, you don't want to shut the, you don't want to be the reason why your child shuts all the doors. Right. They may still shut the doors, but it won't be because you made it easy. <laughs> you know, and that's, so that's what, I, you know, as you said, you know, wise as serpents, gentle as doves. That's how you have to be, and that's, uh, that involves having a really um, deliberate prayer life um, with a deliberate component of it that is focused on praying to love that child or that spouse or that brother um, or that parent or that friend more fully. That there has to be a, a very intentional, petitional component to your prayer life that is dedicated to learning to love them the way God wants you and asking for the grace and the words for the silence as need be. Well, and we know that the prayer life is kind of the lifeblood of our faith and it's, you know, our communication with God. And we need to remember that it involves as much listening as it does speaking. And, and so as we're in pain, we just can't keep speaking and speaking, right? We have to be open to allow the Lord to speak to us and, and maybe you know, look at ourselves in a, in a in an objective way on how we can grow and be, become more that light that we've been called to be. Right, and that really does take a sublimation of spirit, you know, where you figure out that you're at the back of the temple saying, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. Um, and then taking that mercy and applying it to those that you have been entrusted with. Um, and that will do far more to reveal Christ to the world, even to those who don't necessarily, it'll make Christ more visible, even for those for whom it is hard to see. You know, one thing, one thing I have witnessed when, when I've seen this and, you know, it's something that, you know, I know we have to continue to focus on even in our family is, you know, making sure that both mom and dad are on the same page that, you know, this isn't, you know, sometimes kids do a good job of trying to divide and conquer. And it really is important yeah. to on the same page because it can really devolve and, and affect the family in, in, in very traumatic ways. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why, I mean, if it is a, a child that is um, uh, far from the faith, then, you know, the, the husband and the wife coming together and really praying for that child, you know, prayer and fasting, there's two components to it doing it together, you know, that's that's taking advantage of the graces that come from your marriage. And that is a tremendous um, method of prayer, both for deepening your own relationship and making sure that when you engage with that person, that it is um, from a place of grace and love and not a place of argument or resentment or frustration or irritation. Um, and that's really, that's very important. And that's why I think, you know, this, this book, you know, the article you wrote a couple, couple months ago, it, it, they are, we need to constantly remind ourselves of these things, right? It's easy to read the book or to see something and say, oh yeah, I get it. But it, we have to kind of keep reminding ourselves because we can get worn down. We can, if we don't grow in our faith and our prayer life, this can really affect us in negative ways and, 
the importance to remind ourselves to center ourselves and put Christ first and grow in that relationship enables us to be the better parent, to be the better listener, to be the better communicator. Yeah, and you also have to trust in the efficaciousness of our prayer. Sitting down and praying for the one that has left is efficacious. It is. It has a real consequence. It's doing something, and you know, it's not. It doesn't. You know, and it is earth-shattering what it's doing, even if we don't get to see it in our own time. Well, and that's true. I do. We, my wife and I were actually talking about the other day when I told her we were gonna that I was gonna interview you, and we went back and said, "We've been dealing with this for twenty-five years now. It seems like a long time, but then I'm thinking, holy cow, two and a half decades we've been, you know, dealing with issues and praying, and uh, you know, I think the prayer is as fervent, if not more, today than it was, you know, twenty years ago." But it is a reminder, yeah. and it has brought us closer together in a way that we never thought we would be. So there is, right, there is that efficacious uh, result from crosses and challenges we have in our own family. And, of course, we always would like for, like, you know, God, this, we would like this done yesterday. Yeah. Like now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you'll go, say, Michael, she only did 17 years. Come on, crying out loud. 25. <laughs> you know, I've laughed her. You know, so, you know what's the problem? Yeah. And, we, and we do, we get frustrated. And But but the thing is that I honestly would bring that frustration to God, too, and say, hey, look, I I know you're teaching me all for perseverance. I'd like to be a little impatient, please. <laughs> <laughs> right now um and and, and i think say, being that brutally honest with god and yes god's gonna whisper back to you that you know this is growing you this is growing her this is growing your other relationships this has effects far beyond what you can see um that's a reality that we forget about because we get kind of singular in our petitions for me i would like you at 226 today you know please you know on a silver platter grant my petition and then put a big bell afterwards so i make sure i know that you did it (laughs) exactly it it is a reminder but you know the other thing is it it can be a domino effect which makes it even more difficult right then you you know maybe you have grandchildren and they don't end up getting baptized and you know, they're not brought up in the faith or you might not have the contact with them you wish. So it really, th- these prayers expand beyond our kids sometimes into their kids. And it, and it really is an opportunity to embrace those crosses that Jesus reminds us, you can't come to me unless you embrace the cross. And it, it, is, it is an opportunity for us. And sometimes we, we don't view it that way. I know it is because it's hard. It's hard. There's no question about it. What I would say is remember from Scripture that the good will be counted to the thousand generations. I remember that from the the Old Testament where it was talking about how good will be counted to a thousand generations. So knowing that, stay at it because you want to build it to the next thousand generations, and that's what you want. Um, That's number one. And number two, and this is particularly for mothers out there, that when – that. Any child we bear leaves behind a little bit of their DNA in our womb. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we receive the Eucharist, a little bit of who they are receives the Eucharist because we received. And I, I, I take a little consolation in that for myself um, to know that some component of them is receiving some component of Jesus because they are in me. <laughs> and I don't know that that's 100%. I know it's scientifically true that whatever you could is there. I just view it as a spiritual consolation that part of them is still united in Christ, even if they do not know it. Just like they haven't been divorced from Christ because they, they still have been baptized. If they've been baptized, if God's not going to remove those graces that have been given, those sacraments that have been given. It's not going to take them, take, take them off his them. So I view have that consolation as well. And that yeah. God will use the grace that he gave long beyond when they were received. Well, I think that is that is a good reminder, although sometimes it, it is irritating when, you know, they leave for uh, a different faith community uh, and they think they need to be rebaptized or something like that. You're, and you're just you're like, no, no, you know, it's not like that's not how it works. And but they insist that. They need to be baptized in a, in a different faith community. So there are those little things that we need to uh, expect that can happen that, you know, when, just when you think every, you know, we've seen it all, that something like that comes up and you just have to shake your head and, and, yeah. and be kind and not nice. Yeah. And, you know, those, those are emotionally, um, they're like a scourge on you because you're mm-hmm. you're going, no, that's not true. That's not right. And it hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to weather it. And what you have to do at that point is pray that you are not being a scourge in any way to them. And that's your prayer at that point. So just always unite it, whatever it is, whatever the wound is. It fits somewhere in the sorrowful mysteries. Find where it fits and unite whatever you're feeling with that mystery. Um, leading into the rosary, which is why I was going to say the next is that the number one thing you can do for whoever it is that you long to have united with Christ is bring that person in your prayers to the Blessed Mother. Because she knows exactly how you feel. She has heard that cry over and over again. Think of all the rosaries that have been said to her on behalf of someone who loves someone else. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.